Well, hey, welcome everybody, and thank you so much for joining us uh, for an amazing time of worship together, and now an opportunity to open the Word. Uh, you know, I just want to share for a couple of minutes uh, just some personal things that um, this has been a really interesting week for me. Um, I don't think it's been a unique week. In fact, my guess is at some point over the last several months, you've probably had a week like the one that I've been having. Um, I mentioned this briefly in our midweek update this week, but um, I hit a wall of sorts this week. Um, I think a lot of the stuff going on in culture right now, a lot of stuff in our society, a lot of stuff just around me relationally, just all these different things, uh, it just sort of piled up. And, and as I've been reflecting about this, I realized that God sort of hardwired me to think about the big picture. And, and I, I think about cities and I think about humanity and I think about uh, people in, in large groups and small groups and just all those different things, they just sort of weigh heavy on me. And as, I, as I've been looking out at humanity lately, as I've been sort of looking at society and looking at culture, what, what I realize as I read the news and I hear people in conversations and, and people vent with me their, their frustrations of just what's happening in, in, in life and all these different places, it's as if I could just feel the ache of our, of our society right now. For some reason this week, it's like my finger was on the pulse and I could just feel the heartbeat of this aching being that just seems to be in our, in our culture today. And, and, and my heart's been breaking. It, it's breaking as I, as I observe people everywhere who are just struggling with loss. We, we've lost things. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that and we recognize that and we say we have experienced loss. And, and at the same time, we need to acknowledge the fact that in this loss, we're trying to find our way. We're trying to find bearing. We're, we're trying to anchor ourselves in something. We're in this desperate place. And one of the things that I've just become increasingly aware of in this entire process is how, how much we've lost and how significant that is impacting us as individuals. Um, we, normal everyday things, you know, we, we don't have coffee shops to go to like we used to and restaurants aren't the same and habits and routines are different. And so there's all this little stuff that we just sort of took for granted that now that it's not the way it was, we just find ourselves still months and months later. Now we're starting to feel the effects of the loss, but then it goes to the bigger things. It goes to the things that we've really lost, the big significant things, those moments where we've been deeply disappointed. It's the, the missed graduations, the, the canceled vacations, the losses of people around us to illness. All of these different things have just been adding up. And so it's palpable in the air. You can just feel this tension that seems to exist right now. And, and as I'm observing this, what I'm, what I'm recognizing is it's revealing some things about our lives. I think it's revealing a lot about where we have found our identity. I think it's revealing a lot about where we have uh, found our, our, our sense of being, how we have determined security or how maybe we've defined security in our lives. Uh, it's, it's revealing the ways in which we distracted ourselves or just entertained ourselves to have, so that we have to deal with all the, the negative things in our lives or the things we were trying to avoid in our lives. It's revealing all this stuff that we were doing. And then, it, and at least for me, the, the final thing really that, that has happened is this, is that it's stripped away. It's revealed all of those things that were so unnecessary. And I'm starting to realize that there isn't a lot of substance to the stuff in this world that we look to for substance, especially if we're apart from Christ. There just isn't a lot to hold on to. And I think that's what this is revealing. Like, there isn't a lot there. There isn't a lot of a lot of depth to anything apart from Jesus, which means um, that this series that we're in, it just means that much more to us. It makes this much more poignant for us. It makes it that much more compelling because of this. And let me just explain. We're in this series called When the World Turned Upside Down. We're looking at the early church, the book of Acts. We're walking through this. 
But when we look at this book, we are reading about people living during a time that was incredibly similar to ours. Uh, They were living in societies that were very similar to the one that we're in. And life wasn't simple, and life was complex. Substance was very hard to find then, just as it's hard to find right now. And yet one of the things you'll notice as you read the book of Acts is that these people over and over again, they are being captivated by what God is doing in their midst. They are in awe. There is this sense of wonder and amazement. This early church, time and time again, they're being described as people who are caught up in wonder with all the complexities and all the difficulty and all these things. They are in awe. And and it wasn't awe because um, their church had really good coffee in the lobby. Uh, It wasn't awe because um, the band just nailed it that day. Like, hey, man, great job on the guitar. I'm in awe. It wasn't because of that. It wasn't wasn't in awe because the preacher finally preached on the thing they wanted the preacher to preach on. There was awe because the power of God was moving among them in a way they had never witnessed before. They were seeing God move. They were seeing God work in these times. The, The promise that Jesus had made that his Holy Spirit was going to come and that they would be an empowered people, this was taking place. God was moving and they could sense it. They knew it. And there was substance. And and, and here's what I find interesting about this. Their physical circumstances, they didn't change. Their economic status, it it didn't change. They had the same amount of money, not much change for them economically. They're living in the same houses. They're doing the same jobs. They're living among the same friends. They're dealing with the same political climate. All of those things stayed stagnant, and yet suddenly they are a people who are filled with wonder and amazement. There's this deep sense of God moving in their midst. So so let me just go back for a moment to this, this subject of substance. These people are discovering substance. And yet most of what we call substance in our day and age hadn't really changed. Most of the things that we would have looked to and said, well, I want substance. I want all these categories to be shifted. None of that stuff had changed. Something else changed, which might point to something really valuable for us in this season. It might be revealing that there are dimensions of experience that we have not encountered in this day and age, that that there are dimensions of experience that maybe because of all that's going on around us, we just sort of stopped paying attention to them. And maybe among these dimensions is where we find substance. I think of it this way. What if we have like a three-part or four-part puzzle and we put all the pieces together, but we're missing one of the pieces. And, and there's this significant chunk that's out here. And we're sort of looking at it going, why does this not make sense? Why is the picture not coming together? Why is there something missing? Well, it's because we're not paying attention to a significant dimension of what these people were realizing. See, one of the, one of the things we're going to see in today's passage is, I believe, truly, one of the more significant differences in the experiences of those that we're reading about in the early church and those of us living in this day and age right now. But let me also say this. If you're serious about this, if you're serious about understanding this, if you're serious about talking about this, if you're serious about seeing this impact your life, this is going to be very challenging for you. And and let me explain why. It doesn't matter where you are in the faith spectrum. You could be a, a passionate follower of Jesus and you've been doing it for years, or you might be somebody who's just asking questions about faith and religion and spirituality. And so you're at the beginning of, of some sort of journey. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. What I'm going to talk about today is going to be challenging for everybody. And here is why. Because what we are going to see today challenges our sensibilities as modern, educated, thinking people. 
what we'll see today, what we'll see today will challenge the way that we think about the world that we're living in, the world that we're operating in. See, here's what we're going to discover. In fact, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to give you the point right up front. And then we're going to spend the next 25 minutes trying to make sense of it and trying to let it sink in because I think this point is going to take that. I think this is going to be difficult for us to wrap our brains around. It's going to take some time for this to ruminate and to, 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 to germinate inside of us because it's that challenging to our intellect. We're going to need this headspace to think about this together. Here's the big idea that I want us to start with today. Everything that we see is not everything that is. Everything that we see is not everything that is. Like If we reduce the world that we live in, if we reduce the days that we're moving through to an understanding in which the only thing that, that really matters, the only thing that really is, is what we can see or what we can touch or what we can hear or what we can smell or what we can taste. If that's what we limit what is really real to in our world, then we will be missing out on a significant portion of reality. We will only be seeing one aspect, one sliver, one dimension of what is real. We will have no explanation for certain things that take place in our world. We'll just sort of look and go, well, that doesn't make sense. We'll, call, we'll use words like anomaly or coincidence. We won't have a vocabulary for what's taking place around us. And we'll have little to no power to change anything around us. Something will be missing, but we won't be sure what it is. Um, everything will just be sort of a, a, a mist. There'll be like a dream that we're sort of waking up from. It's like we know there's something there, but we can't really make sense of it. Like we have this kind of nagging sense that maybe there's more than this physical. Maybe there's more than what I can taste and see and smell and touch. Maybe there's more than this, but we won't really have language for it because everything we see is not everything that there is. And until we open our eyes to that, it won't make sense. So, so there are two sides of this. And we're going to see this today. We're in Acts chapter 13. And so uh, if you have a Bible and you want to open it up there, I encourage you to do that. Acts chapter 13, um, it begins a really kind of a new shift or a new portion in the book of Acts. It really takes things to a new level because starting in chapter 13, we begin to travel with the apostle Paul to all places around the world where he is sharing the message of Jesus to all sorts of cultures, all sorts of people. The church at Antioch, this beautiful, diverse, multicultural church that we saw last week, they begin to send people to places around the world. In fact, um, the, the first place that we see is they go to this island of Cyprus. They, they, they visit this particular spot, and we see things that I'm referring to just a few moments ago. We see God doing things. We understand dimensions that, that we need to have our eyes open to. So I want to just start reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says this. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And let me just real quickly pause here and explain that Luke's inclusion of these names is a very intentional decision on his part. He actually reveals the diversity of the church at Antioch with this. There is ethnic and economic diversity in the people that are leading in this church. Last week, you, you might have remembered, we talked about the multicultural nature of the church at Antioch and how this is the first place people were called Christians because now the categories that, that they used to hold to define themselves no longer quite fit. Now they needed to be called something else. That's where this name emerged. They weren't defined by their economics. They weren't defined by their ethnicity, but by the transforming power of the grace of Jesus. That is now what defines them. So let's read on. This is this group of people, because this gets really good. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Now, 
This sounds like really simple verses here, but there are two life-transforming realities in these two very simple verses. The first one is in verse two. Notice it says that they were worshiping and fasting, and I want to talk about these things for a moment. Um, worship is a very revealing practice when you think about this. Um, worship is an unusual practice. Uh, earlier, Alex invited you to stand, and I, I hope you weren't driving when he invited you to do that. Uh, I hope you were in your living room or, or someplace around your house. Uh, but, but we stand and we worship, and you, you think about what we're describing. It's so unusual when you, when you consider worship that we come to a place, maybe a building, maybe in front of your TV right now, and you begin to sing songs to a God that you can't see. It's, it's it's so unusual because we live most of our life in this world that's so tactile. It's all about what we can see and what we can feel. That's our, our culture is 100% about the material, and yet we have these moments, maybe once or twice a week, maybe, maybe even more, where we stop and we, we say, I'm going to recognize, I'm going to acknowledge, and I'm going to sing songs to an invisible God. That reveals something. That reveals something about a reality. The fact that they are worshiping says they are engaging the unseen. They are acknowledging there are, more, there are more things going on around us than what we can touch. There is a God who is there. They're modeling this for us. We spend all of this time in the physical, and then we have a moment to acknowledge there is more than the physical around us. These people, they're living in this reality. So, so they're worshiping, which just sort of pulls the curtain back and says, this is not all that there is. And then, then it says that they're fasting. And fasting is a really interesting thing. There's a lot of reasons that we fast. But one of the reasons that we fast is to subdue our physical appetites and, and the physical needs that we have so that we can become aware of unseen realities. That's one of the primary purposes behind fasting. If I, if I limit my body's appetites, if I restrict those things, I can become increasingly aware of those things that are not physical. Our, our appetites, our desires are so strong that they can override spiritual realities and we will be focused on the physicality of things rather than the unseen spiritual things that are around us. So fasting is this reminder that I am not just a physical being. I'm not just a person driven by this collective of appetites that is inside of me. So, so we have people, they're actively engaged in a reality that is beyond the physical. They're worshiping and they're fasting because they are convinced that the physical realm, this physical realm that you and I are watching all around us every day, isn't all that there is. They, they get together and they just say, hey, let's just lay all the, all the stuff aside and let's focus on what we know is true. They engaged realities beyond what they could touch, beyond what they could see. They understood there was power that was transcendent. And I want you to just see what happens. The verses that I just read, it says that God speaks to them through his spirit in this moment. This sort of makes me wonder about our own personal lives. Could it be that our frustration with God's lack of direction in our lives is the byproduct of our lack of engagement in anything other than a physical life? You know, we, we, we complain to God, right? You've probably done this before, where you say, like, God, I, I just wish you would show me. Like, God, why, why, don't you, why don't you write something on the wall for me? Why don't you rent an airplane and put it in the sky? We, we want God to, to respond to us in physical ways because we're obsessed with the physical world. When we do this, we're insisting to God that he speak to us in physical terms because physical terms are what we have somehow brokenly decided make up life. Open the doors of physical opportunities. How do you know God wants you to go there? I don't know the door opened up. There was something physical. We want physical signs. 
It, we want schools to send us applications and say, this is where you're supposed to go to school. We want uh, potential mates to just knock on our door and say, here, here I am, I'm the one God sent. We want him to do these sorts of things. We, we, we want God to, to give us signs in the physical. And our insistence on physical responses often means that we miss hearing the still, small voice of God who's prompting us in the unseen. I'm so challenged by their example because they worship and they fast. They seek God and his direction. And I, I truly believe this. If, if you wanted to strip the power from the church, I believe the best way to accomplish that would be to over-intellectualize Jesus and distract us from the unseen aspect of what it means to be a Christian. Just sucks the life right out of the church. These people, they were led by God. They don't come to God in some ceremony and say, well, if I just participate in this ritual and I, you know, I sing the right songs and I pray at the right time and I do my devos and journal and do all this stuff, then, then I earn the right to put my plans before God and he can sort of sprinkle his fairy dust on top of them and bless them or he can stamp them or approve them. And then I walk out and I can go live my life with my plans, believing that God has somehow approved them. That's not what they do. They don't go to God with their plans. They go to God seeking his plans. You are unseen. There is a reality beyond the physical. We are here in your presence. You show us what we should do. They seek God in his direction. They are aware of his leading. And then when he leads them, this is beautiful, they follow. So we go back to the text and God speaks to them. He reveals something to them during this. And notice that it isn't some answer to a personal prayer. It's not, uh, hey, hey, God, it, I've got some bills to pay. Could you, you know, show me where the money's gonna come from? It isn't, should I date person A or person B? That's not what he says. Should I take this job or buy this house? That's not what they're saying to God. What they hear from God is not some sort of answer to a personal request. It is a call that aligns with his mission and his heart for humanity. He, he responds by saying, I want you to send Paul and Barnabas to places they've never been and have them tell people about this Jesus they've never heard of. It's powerful. It's, it's life-encompassing. Can you imagine if I showed up at your house right now and I knocked on your door and I said, hey, by the way, while we were worshiping and, and preparing uh, this service and doing this for you. Can you imagine if I showed up and I said, you know what? While we were worshiping, I had a vision and you were standing in a field and it was Rwanda. And I think God is calling you to Rwanda. That might be a little bit unsettling, but that's exactly the kind of thing that's taking place here. In the unseen, God is prompting people to go to new places. I read this passage and I just want you to know that I long for us to be a church that seeks God for, for our lives, to seek God for lives that are bigger than our imagination, to seek God for dreams that are greater than our imagination, that we would allow God to place things in our hearts that are bigger than anything we could ever come up with on our own. That's what I long for for us. Everything we see is not everything that is. So let's look at what happens next. Verse four, so... Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. By the way, I'll just pause here and say, they did it. Paul and Barnabas, they, they hear everybody say, hey, we were praying and worshiping in the unseen. We saw this. And they said, we're going to go do it. So they do what they're told to do. And from there, it says they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the, of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. 
He was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's something very important here happening that, that a lot of people try to ignore. These guys go to Cyprus and they confront a man named Bar-Jesus. He's a false prophet. He's connected or involved with the, the wording, the description in, in the original language is describing someone who's involved with demonic activity. And he's intentionally leading people away from the truth that these men carry. Now, the question you have to start asking yourself with our modern sensibilities is, okay, is this true? Is this true? I mean, Paul even goes on to call him a son of the devil, an enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. And he tells him, you make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And then through supernatural means, he blinds him. <laughs> At some point, you have to stop and say, is this real? Like, does this really happen? Can we expect these sorts of things? I mean, is this, is this a part of this unseen? Well, let me ask you another question. What if everything we see isn't everything that is? See, I find this story fascinating. These men are operating with an awareness that there is more than the physical, and in the first portion, that, that led to them listening to God. But in the second section, that leads them to confronting the unseen forces of evil, recognizing those things that are at work in the world. So we're listening for God, but we're also aware that there are forces at work. I want to talk about something for a minute, because I think we've lost sight of something that, that has to be returned to us as God's people. See, personally, I, I, I tend to not talk about this because in my past, certain people have, have run rampant with what I'm about to say. Certain people have decided to find the devil behind every rock. They've decided to blame every misstep on somebody else, the devil. They blame Satan for their bad decisions. That's what I've seen people do in the past. And so there's this tendency for me to sometimes shy away from this. There's also this reality that I'm a part of a culture that doesn't like to talk about the unseen. We like physical concrete. We like to intellectualize Jesus. But this is important. Do you realize that Satan or the enemy is mentioned over 250 times in the New Testament? So, so on average, for example, in the New Testament alone, just the New Testament alone, the word enemy, the enemy, referring to Satan, would be mentioned in every single chapter of the New Testament if you spread it out. In fact, I want you to read a couple things with me that, that I think are going to be eye-opening. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, a new church that's just starting to have their eyes opened to the unseen. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That seems pretty clear, right? This isn't a metaphor. This is reality that he's describing. This is unseen reality. Or, or look at this later in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26 um, 
We might get to this in about nine or 10 months in our series in Acts, but in Acts 26, we'll get, get back to this at some point. He says this, he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Make no mistake, as you read what's being described, there is a cosmic unseen battle that is going on. This is not describing a battle with people. So I know it's difficult for us in our modern context to comprehend or understand this, but it's still true. We are engaged in a tension between two kingdoms. That may sound cosmic, that may sound mystical, that may sound surreal, that may challenge your sophisticated sensibilities, that may challenge just the practical nature that we can see the physical and we can't see what's unseen. We find ourselves wrestling with this. Do you really want me to believe these sorts of things? Do you want me to believe that there's evil in the world and, and this sort of, do you want me to believe that there's a force out there that's, that's encouraging certain kinds of behaviors? Do you want me to believe that there's an entity, that there's a being of some, some type? I, mean, I, I hear people say, well, isn't evil just the, the byproduct of upbringing? Like, isn't the devil or Satan really just a metaphor of the bad things that people do? Let me just say this. A few years ago, I was listening to someone talk about our need to process our, our past, which, by the way, is really good advice. Um, a lot of us were sort of moving through life like we move through airports. We have a lot of baggage, and we take it with us everywhere. And so sometimes we need to stop and unpack the luggage and get some of that stuff out, right? So, so, so going through our past is, is a really important thing, and so I'm not downplaying the need to look at our past and deal with the broken things that are there. But this person that I was listening to began to describe an individual who um, at one point in his life applied to a, a Munich art school and he was denied. And so the next year he waited and he applied again and he was denied again and he waited another year and he was denied again when he applied to this particular art school. And, and then this person suggested that this individual's life after that point was lived in response to this rejection and that the atrocities that this person committed could somehow be traced back to this moment when they were rejected by this art school. And that he never properly processed the pain that that caused. By the way, the person that rejected him, he discovered, at this Munich art school happened to be Jewish. And the person I'm describing happens to be Adolf Hitler. Let me just say something. I have known a lot of people who have had bad childhoods, who are, people who have experienced dream-crushing rejection, but that did not result in a holocaust. The explanation for Adolf Hitler is not that he, he got rejected from college and there was this adversity in his childhood and his feelings were hurt and he couldn't get over it. And so, so he committed all these atrocities. No, the explanation for Adolf history, the only explanation for this is evil in the world today. See, see, our society, our culture today would love to tell you that every bad thing that anybody does could be traced back or identified in somebody's past. Like everything has a cause and effect. And so if you do something bad, well, there must've been something back there that caused that sort of thing. We see that today all over the place. Um, th this is why when somebody uh, shoots a gun into a random crowd, they go digging through their trash, they go digging through their past, they, they do all of these searches to try to figure out, well, why did they do this? And, and there's this conundrum in our culture, like why? Why did a person do this? What explanation do we have for their behavior? Who wronged them that made this happen? And the reason that we're so passionate about this is that we're convinced that it's about an input and an output, that there's some sort of physical explanation for this. 
This is also why we're convinced if we could just change the system, if we could just change the programs, if we could just change the opportunities or the experiences for humanity, then there wouldn't be bad stuff in the world anymore. If we could just get everything right and everybody would have what they need, and then, then somehow there would be no bad experiences and no bad things would ever happen to good people anymore. But then something happens that you cannot explain with systems and programs. And the only way to define it is evil. Listen, folks, there, there is brokenness in our world. People are broken. I'm broken. And I make decisions out of my brokenness. Broken people do broken things. And we need to work on those things. But some things that happen in our world, some things that are happening in our world right now, can only be described by something that is largely dismissed in our world today. And that is this thing called evil. And there is a mastermind behind this evil. And his name is Satan. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, is probably one of the greatest thinkers in Christian history, um, one of the greatest minds ever to, in the world, he never had a problem understanding this reality. He didn't struggle to recognize evil in the world, unseen forces. But let me just read something that he said. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Uh, I, I have another friend. You may have heard of him. His name is Randy Remington. He says it this way. He says, the Bible teaches us that human disobedience led to sin, but angelic disobedience led to evil in the world. Like, even the Lord's Prayer makes a distinction. Uh, you, you probably know this. Maybe many of you do. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then listen to this. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You notice that even Jesus himself distinguishes between, between the sins that we need to be forgiven for and the evil we need to be delivered from. There's a difference between the sins we are forgiven for, the brokenness that we're forgiven for, and the evil that he is delivering us from. There's a difference. And in Acts chapter 13, what we are witnessing is evil. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So what does he do? Well, this guy, he makes straight paths crooked. He pollutes, he disintegrates, he disintegrates, he breaks things apart. The, the devil, I just, you need to understand this, and I think this is really poignant for our world right now and what I see happening in our culture right now. The devil is a divider. The devil's schemes center around dividing people and pitting them against one another. That's what he does. He creates division wherever he can. He divides us from God. He divide, divides us from ourselves. He divides us from, from the church and fellow believers. He divides us, if you're married, from your spouse. If, if you have friends, he'll divide you from your friends. He'll divide you in any way that he can. Let me just tell you this. The devil is not really creative. The devil's more like a parasite. And he will attach himself to, to, to our selfishness, to our pettiness, to our, our fundamental belief that we have some sort of right to this thing or that thing. He will attach himself to these things and he will leverage those things until he breaks us down and divides us. He isn't creative, but he's real. Revealing what is real 
is our key to overcoming this evil. What is real is not only what is seen. There are unseen realities that cannot be ignored. They cannot be denied. And ignoring the full spectrum of reality will, will result in a life that, that, that desperately seeks for substance in a substance that isn't reality. Which, by the way, explains people's desperate attempts today, the desperation that we see today. Um, let me just say this. If, if all we have, if all we have in this world is the physical, if all we have is the money in our bank account and, and the house that we live in or the, the physical possessions we own, if all that we have is our personal experiences, the taste and the smells and the things we touch right now, if that's all that we have, well, of course we're going to be desperate. Of course we're going to fight. Of course we're going to cause all sorts of pandemonium. Why? Because this is all that there is and we have to grasp for everything that we can. But let me ask you this. If this isn't all that there is, what does that make us? What kind of people do we become? See, see, if there's more, and certainly there is, then I think it explains how you and I can have relative peace, relative joy in really complicated times. Because we understand with everything that's going on and all the stuff that people are concerned about, we just say, well, you know what? The good news is this isn't all that there is. This is only maybe half of reality. There's a whole unseen reality, and we get to operate and move and participate and live in and breathe that reality. So, so as we close with some worship and some reflection, I want to leave you considering a couple of things. Are you living a God-led life? Are you living the kind of life that is, that is leaning in and, and listening and saying, God, where do you want me to be? Not, not will you bless my plans. God, what do you want me to do? Are you living a God-led life? And are you aware of the unseen? Are your eyes opened? Are you remembering so, so that you have the peace and understanding and knowledge and beauty and joy and all the things that come with understanding what is really real in this world? I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to think about that. And in just a moment, I'm going to come back after we worship and I'm going to close us with a benediction. Let's worship together. Oh.
You know, this week I was reminded of something that I, I was thinking about early on in this whole pandemic. And I don't know if I said it publicly or just wrote it in a journal somewhere. And I, I kind of forgot about it, drifted off the radar. But this week it just sort of hit me. And I just, I found myself saying, you know, I don't think this pandemic caught God by surprise. I don't think there's anywhere, there's any category where, where the Holy Spirit was somehow disrupted. Like I didn't see this coming and he's, you know, trying to figure things out like we are. I have a pretty good sense that God is moving and God is working and that he knows exactly what's taking place. And I truly believe that during this time, one of the things that's taking place is the physical realities are diminishing around us and the spiritual realities are increasing. That the unseen is now more seen than ever before. And I believe it's our opportunity to point not just our own eyes in that direction, but to point the eyes of others and to say there's more, there's more than, than the value of your 401k or the size of your house or the security of your job. There's more than all of those things. There's Jesus and the hope and the life that's found in him. And, and so this week, may you have your eyes opened. May you see all of the beauty that God holds for you in the unseen. May you understand, may you lean in, may you experience his voice, may you hear him speaking to you, may you experience his leadership, may you be aware that the forces at work in this universe are not simply for good, but also for evil. Will you have discernment to know those things that are like bait, tricking you and pulling you away and dividing you. May you be aware and may you fight and defend yourself against those forces. May you, in all of this, be available for God to use and God to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys so much. Can't wait to see those of you who signed up for Tuesday. It's gonna be a great time together. And for the rest of you, hopefully the next time we'll get a chance to register you. You can worship with us. We'll see you next Sunday as we release next week's service. We'll see you guys soon.